0: John Cage was one of the most significant figures in 20th century music. He was a student of Arnold Schoenberg, but went on to be an influential composer in his own right. His work drew on Chinese and Japanese influences at a time when American society was just starting to open up to these cultures. He influenced avant-garde composers like Philip Glass and Steve Reich, as well as songwriters and artists like Yoko Ono, Lou Reed, and even Aphex Twin. He was also hugely influential in modern dance, What you hear playing right now is his 1948 piece called In a Landscape. This version was recorded in 1994 by Stephen Drury. This piece is actually not very typical of John Cage's writing. He's more known for his innovations in music and his avant-garde techniques. As far as John Cage pieces go, this is pretty much as mainstream classical as it gets. But despite his reputation for avant-garde writing, no one was prepared for what he did in 1952. This was the year he created the most daring piece of his career, something really out there, even for him. It was called Four Minutes and 33 Seconds. It was a piece that even some critics refused to call music.
1: Oddly enough, my first experience with 433 was playing it on my high school piano recital. I played it when I was 17 before I had heard anybody else play it.
0: That's Kyle Gann, a professor at Bard College. He's also a composer and a former critic at the Village Voice.
1: I bought the sheet music in Dallas for 50 cents.
0: It's almost ironic that you can buy sheet music for 433, because for the entire duration of the piece, the performer plays nothing at all. Well, to be technical, the performer is playing rest. But to the audience, it looks like nothing is happening.
2: I think people just looked around at each other and kind of smiled and a few giggles here and there.
0: That's Nare Sol, a composer, a musician, and video creator.
2: I was first introduced to John Cage in an academic environment. At first, it didn't really make sense to me because here I was in a conservatory. I was really concentrated on playing the piano. And when I first heard about 4 minutes and 33 seconds, it's a piece where you're not playing. So it just didn't make any sense.
0: John Cage's 433 was performed for the first time in the summer of 1952 by renowned pianist David Tudor. It was at Maverick Concert Hall, which is an outdoor concert hall in Woodstock, New York. The concert featured all new piano music from different composers. So what happened here was a pianist walked out on stage sat down at the piano, then, to start 4.33, he closed the piano lid. He then sat there in silence, doing nothing, playing nothing, for 30 seconds. At that point, he opened the piano lid and immediately closed it again. He then sat in silence for 2 minutes and 23 seconds, Then he opened the piano lid again and closed it once more. A minute and 40 seconds later, he got up and walked off the stage. The audience had no idea what to think.
2: I think it really pushed the edge around what people considered acceptable in classical music or any kind of music. And that in today's context sounds quite ridiculous because almost everything has been done in almost every way.
1: A lot of people were kind of amused by it. Cage's mother asked one of his friends, don't you think John has gone too far this time? A
0: friend of Cage wrote to him, begging that he not turn his career into a joke. John Cage had, well, if you could call it created, a piece of music that really challenged some very established ideas about music composition. It's something that musicians are still inspired by and still debate, even today. To understand just what John Cage was thinking, let's back up to the 1940s. Back then, John Cage was making a name for himself composing for an instrument called the Prepared Piano.
1: All during the 40s, Cage's big instrument was the Prepared Piano. And the thing about the Prepared Piano is you put screws or erasers or tape or anything on the strings of one note... And every note ends up having a different timbre, and so you're no longer working with a continuum of pitch, you're working with a whole bunch of distinct sounds. The music you're hearing right now
0: is Cage's Sonata Number no. 5, from Sonatas and Interludes for Prepared Piano, probably his most famous work outside of 433.
2: What I find interesting is that when you prepare a piano, you're really dealing with a lot of elements of spontaneity and chance because here you are dealing with foreign objects that are placed in the piano. And because of this setup, there are a lot of things that are unpredictable once you do it. And it's really hard to keep the outcome consistent. So just by circumstance, you have to embrace that margin of not knowing the outcome. And so when I was working with Prepared Piano, at first I was really frustrated because I really wanted to reproduce a certain outcome.
0: sheet music for Prepared Piano has some really detailed instructions about where to place each object. But it's impossible for every performer to have the same piano, or the same screw, or the same rubber eraser. So the sound you get is always different. This was pretty bananas, and pretty alien to the way most composers and musicians are taught to do things.
2: I definitely have been trained to really put a priority on getting as much control as possible. I'm a little bit of a control freak when it comes to just wanting something to sound a certain way and wanting to play something a certain way.
0: Today, we call a lot of John Cage's work chance music. Basically, composers of chance music create some guidelines for the performer, but major parts of it are left up to chance. So every performance is something really special, never heard before, and never to be replicated. John Cage used ideas from East Asia to
1: find new ways to do that. It was really in 49 and 50 that Cage started getting heavily interested in Zen. There was a tremendous influx of Japanese culture into America right after World War II.
0: The Chinese Book of Changes, the I Ching, was a huge influence on Cage. The I Ching is over 2,000 years old, and it's pretty complex to explain. But basically, you generate random numbers by flipping coins, for example, and the sections that come up tell you something about the decision you need to make. It's a bit like a tarot deck or a magic eight ball, just much, much, much more complex.
1: You ask a question and it will give you any one of 64 answers randomly. And the synchronicity of the universe is supposed to ensure that that answer will be the right one for the moment. And Cage got interested in this idea and started, even before he wrote 433, started using the I Ching in his composing... This piece of music you're listening
0: to is Cage's Music of Changes, composed by flipping coins and using chants to make music. This version was performed by Martine Jost. You can hear how there's these long periods with no music at all, interspersed with big, loud chords and melodies which seem, well, pretty random. So, John Cage was getting increasingly interested in chance, in letting the universe provide the answer to the question, what note should I play next? But to hear the answer to the question, you have to listen. And in the 1940s, listening to the universe was getting harder to do.
1: The Music Corporation was founded in 1934. It really took off during World War II, and musicians of that generation were horrified by it as were lots of other people. There was a case that went to the Supreme Court about it, and it was seen as a terrible scourge by lots of musicians. There were musicians who would make lists of restaurants that didn't play Muzak and only go to those.
0: But there were attempts to shut down the constant background music.
1: In January of that year, 1952, there was a college student in the Midwest who started selling silent records for jukeboxes. So if you didn't want to listen to the jukebox for a moment, you could put in your nickel and it'd play a silent record.
0: John Cage became obsessed with the idea of silence and the idea that, increasingly, people were losing the option to shut out the background noise of the world. He worried that Muzak would stop people from being able to hear silence altogether.
1: He gave a lecture in 1948 and announced his idea to write a four-and-a-half-minute piece of silence that he was going to sell to the Muzak company. It started out, I think, as a political protest, that if you get a, a silent piece on Muzak, people get to not listen to anything for four-and-a-half minutes. So 433 actually started as
0: an attempt to escape from music being imposed on us everywhere we go. But it struck a real nerve and quickly evolved beyond that. Cage was starting to think about silence not as the absence of sound, but as the opportunity to listen. And when he visited a truly quiet place, he made a startling discovery.
1: He came up to Boston and visited an anechoic chamber at Harvard.
0: Anechoic chambers are rooms that are acoustically treated to
1: minimize sound to
0: almost zero. There are no sounds in them. At least, not from the room
1: itself. He said he heard two sounds in motion and the engineer told him one was his nervous system, the other was his blood in circulation. This has been debunked. You can't hear your nervous system. It's been speculated that he probably had tinnitus, like I do. I wish that were my nervous system I'm hearing, but it's the echo of past very loud concerts. I've personally experienced an anechoic chamber, and it's a really wild
0: experience that can completely change your perceptions about sound and silence. Really, I could hear two distinct sounds. I could hear somewhat of a high-pitched hissing noise. I don't know if it's a mild tinnitus, but it's something I've never heard before in my normal life. It really felt more like my brain turning up an amplifier just grasping for anything to hear. And the other thing I could hear really clearly was the
1: blood pushing through my body. It gave Cage the idea that wherever we are, even our bodies make sounds. There's no such thing as a silent environment. As long as you're in your body, you're always hearing something.
0: This is where John Cage's interest in chance and randomness met his interest in silence. He realized that creating an environment with no distractions wasn't about creating silence. It wasn't even about controlling noise. It was about the sounds that were already there. But you suddenly hear for the first time when you're really ready to listen. That's what's so often misunderstood about 433. People think that it's a joke and the punchline is, well, nothing at all. But that couldn't be further from the truth. What John Cage really wanted us to hear was the beauty of the sonic world around us. Our world is getting noisier and noisier. And 433 has even more importance today than it did when it premiered over 60 years ago. So much so that it recently broke into the UK pop charts. We'll find out how that happened after the break. Why should you learn another language with Babbel? Well, there are a ton of reasons, but let's see how many I can fit into 60 seconds. First, Babbel works fast. You can start having conversations in another language in as little as three weeks. Next, it makes overseas vacations more fun and less stressful. I used it all the time on my last trip to Italy. If you work with foreign collaborators, Babbel can help you deepen those relationships. It's a fun thing to do when you need a break, and it's way better than doom scrolling. Babbel teaches you about other cultures. Speaking for myself, learning something new just makes me feel good. It's very affordable. And finally, signing up for Babbel helps support 20,000 Hertz. Okay, make that eight reasons, or otto ragioni, as they'd say in Italian. To get started on a new language today, here's a special limited-time deal for 20,000 Hertz listeners. Get 55% off your Babbel subscription right now at babbel.com slash 20k. This offer is only available for our listeners. That's com slash 20k for 55% off. Babbel.com slash 20k. Rules and restrictions may apply. Here's this episode's mystery sound. And again. If you think you know what that sound is, let us know at the web address mystery.20k.org. And if you guess it right, you'll be entered to win one of our world-famous super soft 20,000 Hertz t-shirts. Stick around to the end of the episode to hear the reveal of last episode's mystery sound. For me, the hardest part of hiring is narrowing down the search, and that's where Indeed can help. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million visitors every month. That makes it the world's largest platform for finding skilled staff. In fact, during the time it'll take me to read this ad, 23 people will have been hired on Indeed. Whenever we list a job, we get a lot of applications. So many of them are from brilliant and talented people. But it can be really hard to have those applications rise to the top. With Indeed's Smart Matching Engine, that process becomes a lot easier. And over time, the matching engine learns your preferences. The more you use it, the more efficient it becomes. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers said that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Right now, our listeners can get a $75 sponsored job credit at Indeed.com slash Hertz. That's Indeed.com slash H-E-R-T-Z. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. John Cage was fascinated by the idea of chance. So he started experimenting with prepared piano and later with the I Ching, his distaste for Muzak and interest in silence took him to the quietest place on Earth. Once these two strands of his life met, he created one of the most controversial and influential pieces in history. But here in the 21st century, 433 went mainstream and even got into the UK top 40.
3: So Cage Against the Machine started as a joke, really. That's Dave
0: Hilliard, a visual artist and psychotherapist and founder of the Cage Against the Machine campaign
3: what gets to number one in the UK music charts at Christmas is historically quite a big deal. And so what I think had happened around 2009 and those kind of X Factor type shows had started to become quite big. So as a reaction against that, you had a Facebook-based campaign to try and get rage against the machine to number one at Christmas. They did that kind of really just off the back of a Facebook page and it was this really successful people power kind of idea.
0: Amazingly, Rage Against the Machine's Killing in the Name topped the UK charts at Christmas 2009 thanks to this campaign. So in 2010, Dave decided to start his own Christmas number one campaign.
3: It was a joke really at first, me suggesting 4.33 in the music charts. It was taking the idea to a kind of ludicrous extreme, really. I didn't really have any plans of how it might actually take place. It was literally just me doing something that amused myself. So I created the Facebook page. At first, the page only had a few followers. It grew gradually. And after that, it started going up into the hundreds. It just started gathering momentum until it got into the thousands, really. There was more media attention. And for a while, silence became quite hot property. Silence was quite a desirable (laughs) commodity. Dave's Cage Against the Machine campaign shifted from a
0: joke into reality. He was contacted by a couple of people who had the idea to air 433 as a Live Aid promotion. If you're a child of the 1980s, you might remember the song Do They Know It's Christmas with a bunch of celebrities singing in a recording studio as part of Live Aid. Dave and his friends were going to do the same thing, but with 433. They managed to bring together some of the biggest names in the UK music scene and booked a studio in London. Performers who couldn't make it to the studio on the day of the recording literally phoned in their performance. Here's a little bit of that performance. So what you hear is buzzing in the audio lines and people softly shifting in the room. And yeah, that's the point. Every performance of 4.33 sounds like the place it's performed. That's the chance element of the music. When the recording was finished, Dave and his team got ready to share it with the British public.
3: So yeah, there was a single launch party, and somebody thought it was a good idea to hold it in a London nightclub. It was due to be launched at midnight, but it was just a normal club night, so people had just gone there just for a night out.
0: When midnight arrived, the DJ stopped the music and played Cage Against the Machines version of
3: 4.33. Most of the people there had not asked to be involved in this performance at all. They hadn't gone out that night and thought, "Oh, should we go in there, appreciate some avant-garde performance art tonight? And so at first, if you just stopped playing music in a nightclub at midnight, people were quite sort of angry and shouting and, you know, play the music and why is this stopped? But surprisingly, that didn't last for too long. And that kind of reached a peak after about one or two minutes, and then it kind of went oddly silent, and you could just hear, like, little pockets of people talking and stuff. And that was one of my favorite bits, actually, of the whole experience, was that was like a real kind of enactment of the performance, and the people involved in it hadn't asked to be involved in it, but they were having an experience, and they were part of the experience, and I thought it was wonderful, really.
0: Cage Against the Machine made it all the way to number 21. But for Dave Hilliard, it was never really about getting it to the top of the charts. For him, that strange moment in a London club was worth all the months of work.
2: It's really about creating the environment for which you can experience sound in a specific way.
0: That's Nare again.
2: Specific, not in terms of how it's imposed onto you, but how you experience that performance. You're just creating a space, and that space is filled with sound. I think it's hard to accept for a lot of people to really consider that piece a piece of music, because a lot of the sounds being produced is not by the performer, and there are not traditional sounds, and there is a lot of silence. But I think it really makes you reconsider what silence is, what music is in relation to silence?
1: It's very different depending on where you play it. This is Kyle again. I find it really significant that the first performance was at an outdoor concert hall in Woodstock, the Maverick concert hall, because, um, you know, it was a wonderful natural environment. When I played it in high school, we sat there and listened to the auditorium HVAC system. It was a pretty antiseptic space for it. <laughs> And it's just a much more minimalist performance. Cage would have found that just as legitimate as anything else.
0: John Cage was trying to get us to listen. And this way of listening would have an impact far beyond music.
3: John Cage was quite into what we might call Eastern thinking. And things like mindfulness and meditation have been around for hundreds if not thousands of years in those cultures. And in the West, we kind of act like we've just discovered mindfulness, whereas actually these things have been proven to be good for humans for thousands of years.
0: Mindfulness and meditation are much more mainstream in the West now. But when John Cage created 433 in the 1950s, they were relatively new ideas to Western audiences.
3: It's an experience that allows you to bring whatever you bring to it. It's not a prescriptive experience, and it reflects a lot back to you. That's the sort of thing we'd think about quite a lot in psychotherapy that all your reactions to things and to other people come back to you and your thoughts and your feelings. It all comes from you. And I think that's a really potentially quite useful and quite profound experience to have. It is what you make it, I think. It's what you bring to it.
2: It just makes you a little more present and appreciate things just the way they are. And I think that's what everyone is still struggling to do which is why 4 minutes and 33 seconds is still a subject of interest to a lot of people in terms of talking about what exactly is this? What's happening here? What does it mean? Is it really music? Is it sound? Is sound music? Is there a difference? But just really letting go of all of that and just being and experiencing everything around, including everything that's not happening it's hard to do.
0: 433 is much more than its face value. Maybe it's even more than just a composition. Maybe it's a philosophical question, unspoken yet universally understood, and worth considering even decades later. Here's how John Cage himself put it in a 1991 interview.
4: When I hear what we call music, it seems to me that someone is talking. But when I hear the sound of traffic, I don't have the feeling that anyone is talking. I have the feeling that uh, sound is acting, and I love the activity of sound. What it does is it gets louder and quieter, and it gets higher and lower, and it gets longer and shorter. I'm completely satisfied with that. I don't need sound to talk to me. When I uh, talk about music, it finally comes to people's minds that I'm talking about sound. And they say, you mean it's just sounds? Thinking that for something to just be a sound is to be useless.
0: John Cage reminds us that music doesn't just have to be about people sitting on a stage and playing complicated things and that music isn't the only kind of sound worth listening to. All sounds are worth thinking about. And in this spirit, we're gonna help you play your own version of 433 right now. And you and the sounds surrounding you are going to be the performer. In fact, if you all play along, this might be the largest and most sonically diverse performance of 433 ever staged. Over 100,000 completely different versions of 433 happening around the world in wildly different places. But every version of 433 will be personal, completely unique to you. So make sure you have four and a half minutes to spare and do not skip. I don't want you to think about anything else. I want you to focus all of your thoughts into what you're hearing. Listen for the high frequencies, the lows, the mids, the loud, the soft, the harmonic, the dissonant. Spend this time as mindful and present in your personal, real-life sonic environment. Enjoy the magnificence of hearing and listening, the vibrations of the world that in turn vibrate your eardrums. There will be three movements, and I'll let you know when they start. Get ready to take in the sounds happening around you right now, wherever you are. Here comes the first movement. It's 30 seconds. Starting now. And here's movement two, it'll be two minutes and 23 seconds. And here is the final movement. It'll be one minute and 40 seconds. And that is the end. You did it. Thank you for taking the time and taking part in this international multi-location performance of John Cage's 433. So think about what you heard and remember these sounds not as distractions, but part of the movement and interaction of life, whether it's calm or bustling, natural or human made. John Cage taught us an incredible lesson And that's that quietness is not an opportunity to stop listening. It's when we really start to listen and finally hear the world as it is. So no matter what you heard, you can be sure that your version of 433 was unique and never to be replicated again. 20,000 Hertz is hosted by me, Dallas Taylor, and produced out of the studios of De facto Sound, a sound design team dedicated to making television, film, and games sound incredible. Find out more at DeFactoSound.com.
1: This episode was written and produced by Martin
0: Zolt-Sorstwick. And me, Dallas Taylor. With help from Sam Sneebly. It was sound designed and mixed by Soren Bajan and Nick Spradlin. Thanks to our guests, Kyle Gann, Nare Sol, and Dave Hilliard. Kyle Gann is a composer. Find his pieces wherever you listen to music. He's also the author of No Such Thing as Silence, John Cage's 433. Be sure to pick that up wherever you get your books. Nahre Soul is a pianist, composer, educator, and YouTuber, and her website is That's nahresol.com. That's N-A-H-R-E-S-O-L dot Dave Hilliard is a visual artist and psychotherapist. You can find him on Instagram at DaveHilliardArt. Most of the music in this episode is from our writer, Martin Zaltz-Ostwick, and I just adore this music. You should go listen to more of this music at palebirdmusic.com. You should also go check out our website because we've posted a few videos related to this episode. The first is Nare Sol playing a piece for Prepared Piano. The second is the recording of 433 for the Cage Against the Machine project. Both are so much fun to watch. You can find those at 20k.org. Finally, I want you to tell me about your personal 433 performance. Did anything surprising happen? How did it make you feel? Was it a powerful experience? Or do you think this whole idea is nonsense? Tell me on Twitter, Facebook, or at hi 20k.org. Thanks for listening.